Welcome to the Waterman Files. Welcome to the Waterman Files. This is Dr. John Waterman coming to you from deep inside the castle. Good afternoon. This is December the 5th, 2005, and I want to welcome all the listeners and those that will be listening, of course, on um, the podcast. And, of course, if you're listening to this, you're part of the remnant resistance and it's important for you to know you're not alone. I hope he's listening to this. We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. We are at the brink. We are at the brink. You are not alone. We are in this together. You are not alone. You are not alone. Ground crew, you are not alone. Ground crew, you are not alone. Ground crew, you are not alone. We are in this together. We are certainly a scattered people. Definitely scattered. All across many nations and several locations and across the world, but I'm glad that you're here to uh, listen. And today we're going to be covering a variety of topics, and uh, I hope you uh, can listen to the whole show. Please tell your friends about the broadcast and tell them there's a couple ways that they can hear the broadcast. Of course, they can log in to talk to you, but of course you can call in and listen live to the show. And if you go to the Waterman Files, the phone numbers are there. If you went there to get here, got the reminder, and I'm glad you came. And uh, I would really appreciate it if we could start getting the new times up and get everybody aware that we are still alive, <laughs> barely alive with all the attacks and so forth. But we're here to continue to do our part for the fight. Many of you are aware that I have been involved in fighting this really, really treacherous uh, tyranny that's, you know, come and gone in some countries worse than others, of course. But not very many people know how long I've been doing it. 
And today we're going to talk about a little bit about that. And But uh, first, I, I just want to make a couple of announcements. If you go to the Waterman Files, if you go to the Waterman Files, there's a, a link um, they're at the Waterman Files in the right-hand column, and it's under the Privacy tab. And uh, under that Privacy, not under Privacy tab, but Heading on the right-hand column. It's a little blue box that just says Blur. has a little bitty key in the B. Blur. What in the world? <laughs> what in the world is Blur? Well, I, I got to tell you this about this because Blur is actually, um, I think, one of the uh, the best privacy tools you can get. Now, we're going to talk a little quick, uh, very shortly here about the fact that uh, you know we've got uh, problems with unseen. We're going to go over that, but this tool. <laughs> Wow, this tool. You're going to love this tool. This tool is kind of unique. Um, if you go there, you can set up a free account. It used to be, it used to be called, um, uh, I think it was Mask Me, okay? And you could get a free add-on to your Firefox browser. But I want to tell you what Blur does. And I actually paid to have a subscription to it. It was very cheap. It was like... I don't know, 35 bucks a year. But what, here's what it does. It, it's to protect your privacy in every capacity. You have a mask inbox. You can mask your emails. It will create for you emails that uh, will keep the spam from coming back to you. Yet, you can show any email that you have as the email that sent the email, so people don't forget who you are. But some of their features are just incredible. Um, now, some of them might kind of sound spooky, but they just need to be understood. For example, they have this thing for, um, they have this uh, mask, masking of your credit card. Now, Now, get this. You can click on New Masked Card, okay? And and what it does, it's kind of like when you're shopping on the Internet every time you're putting in a new number, right? How about if you just put your credit card in one place, and that's the only place that has your credit card number online? Okay, let me say this again because I know this is going to get confusing. L and this is what the Waterman Files is all about, this kind of information. Blur is a technology online company that is there to protect your privacy. Now, a lot of people would go, oh, boy, um, you know, we messed up with Unseen. Are we going to have problems with this? Well, Unseen, I jumped on as it was growing. Now, you know, when I got on it, it was 2,500, and about two months later now, we're at... We're seeing what ninety five thousand. Uh, it's that's another topic we're going to talk about though. But blur, which used to be un, I mean, uh, used to be uh, mask me, um, has some services that in the paid feature allows you some special things. 
you can put your credit card number in your personal information for you, by the way, password protected. Then what you do is you click a button that says Mask Card. In other words, it's going to give you a card. Of, you know how you go to like um, Walgreens and you hand them cash for a um, vanilla card? Well, that isn't always convenient to go do. Uh, you're handing them cash, and it's probably the most secure, but you can't reuse it, and it costs you $5. You know, you do that six times and you've paid for this. What you do is you put you have this real card in there, and you can take it out any time, by the way. And you click New Card, just New Mass Card. And what it does is it generates a new uh, credit card, actually a debit card, for you, you take that card, you enter how much you want it to be worth, just like you would any other uh, load-up gift card, you know, like I want $50 for a friend or something. And it charges it to the card you gave them to put it on, but they then if you were to go and like, say, go to Amazon to buy a book, or if you were to go to some other place like eBay and buy something, you have this one-time-use card with no name associated with you to it. It puts the Blur Company name on it. In other words... It's an anonymous purchase. Now, as anonymous as it can get. Um, and it takes those cards and the potential to steal your card at a fake site away. It also takes away the possibility of having that card used when somebody hacks a website, like they hacked Target and got all the card numbers. And so it it keeps those things from happening. But it also gives you some anonymity. You do not get, they don't know who you are, and they can't use the card again. Now, if you want to use it again for a different pur- purpose or uh, whatever you want, as soon as that's run out or ran out, you can get another card. You can get another card. You can, you can use it all day long to mask your card so that you can do online stuff. I think it was a great idea. Absolutely. Now, there was a couple other things. It does auto fill-in of addresses and stuff. I don't do that. It does some online shopping. uh, You know, like when it asks your address, it'll pop. When you click in the box for your address, it'll give you a drop-down. Do you want a new one or this one? You know, it just fills it in for you. Uh, But there are some other masking uh, technologies that it gives you. Another one is your phone. (laughs) Get this, a phone masking. You enter the phone number you want it forwarded forwarded to. Let's say you're... um, (laughs) 
Let, you could be at your phone, a friend's phone. <laughs> you could be at your enemy's phone. But you could put that phone number to forward it to. Now, it's important that you have access to the phone number you're getting forwarded to, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But then you are assigned a mask phone number. Now, that doesn't change like the credit card does. The mask phone number will be assigned. One of them is assigned to you, and it stays with you. Um, and the reason why is there is a limited number of uh, I, uh, of MPA NXX exchanges, okay? And if they were just letting everybody get a new one each time, they'd run out. So you're assigned this thing. Now, my VoIP phone, I put in a phone number to forward it to, to my VoIP. That's the voice over Internet. And, of course, if you do your voice phones proper, you can get an area code that's not in your area if you think that might be an advantage. And in particular, that's an advantage because it picks up your area code. This mask phone picks up your area code, and that's all it picks up. And so you go in there and you click mask phone. You click on make a mask phone call. It asks you what number you want to call and then it will ring the number it's uh, actually calling for. In other words, it calls my phone number, and you answer it. You don't say anything because you're going to hear a phone call being made. And then it patches through on your line to the destination, and on the other end, they get the mask phone number. <laughs> How many of these kind of phone calls would you have would you have loved to have had access to in the past? Here's what's neat. If they call it back, all it says this this number's been disconnected. <laughs> this number's disconnected. You, they can't call you back. <clears throat> Pretty neat, huh? And you can do those uh it's a penny to make a call. Let me kind of explain phone technology. When you make a call uh, out, it goes through equipment of your local telephone provider. Or if it's a VoIP phone, they're connected somewhere or other to the telephone system. And they will originate the call. In other words, you might be calling over the Internet. But somewhere along the line, the Internet provider will be hooked up or that service will be hooked up to the phone lines, the, the infrastructure of phones. And once it gets to a phone company switch, they cost it, it, it generates a penny cost, one penny. So it's a penny to call, okay, and it's a penny per minute to talk. With your <clears throat> annual amount that you've paid, they allot you $3 a month in masked phone numbers. And I can't remember how much that equates to. But if you, you know, do one a day, that's $0.30 cents for the month. And then you've got $2.70 worth or Two hundred and seventy minutes of talking. What is that? Uh, 
Jeez. Um, for for five hours a month of talking. The average call is about five minutes, so kind of figure that out. After that, you can pay extra, okay? <clears throat> and it starts all over every month for your $3. And you've only paid $30. It's $35 to get this thing. So you can mask your phone. So you can mask your credit card. You can mask your phone. And, of course, why not? You can mask your emails. Now, you can have the emails masked and forwarded to any email you want. And when you get this new mask email, you can... Uh, turn off and on the forwarding at any time, and you can generate numerous different emails. There's all kinds of helps in, 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 in each page to know what to do. So we've been talking about mask phones, mask cards, and we've been talking about mask emails. Man, what else can they do? Well... <clears throat> They have this thing called tracker blocker that comes with it that prevent companies from tracking you. And uh, there will be a little, if you put this in your system, if you use this, they, you can go get an add-on that shows up on your Firefox browser. And it tells you how many tracking, uh, how many things they've blocked that are tracking you. Since December the 14th, I've had 4,591 trackers blocked from my computer. Now, that's an incredible number. I had no idea what was going on. So you can see what I'm talking about. I wanted you to be aware of this. And there's much more. They have... Uh, Shop safely uh, with these, uh, uh, you know, the, the cards, but they also, you can shop safely with autofill credit cards uh, that does it automatically with the fake card number. You can set up and manage passwords and logins faster. You can set up all kinds of encrypted accounts and store those accounts uh, for you. Um, so, Check out the, uh, the service. You can get some of these services. It used to be, like I said, Mask uh, Me. Uh, and you can get those for free and try out some of them. You can go watch a tour. But if you click on that uh, button, blur, it'll there on the uh, Waterman files, you can uh, try it out. And if you go on to... Uh, uh, the add-ons for the uh, Firefox browser, you'll find that you can um, add the uh, blur add-on that will put all the things at the top. And I, and if you want to, you can even use Mask Me at the same time, which is the old version. The blue blur, I should say, is kind of an upgraded 
more secure system. Um, so either one's fine. The uh, Mask Me was what I was using was free. When I saw the offer to upgrade, I went ahead and did it. So avail yourself of some of that technology. The verdict is still out on um, the unseen group chat, uh, email, so forth, and, of course, encrypted calling. And uh, the war is on to find out exactly who Unseen is. And believe it or not, Mike Adams, the health ranger, has thrown in his two cents about the problem of who Unseen is, saying that he was an investor and owner of Intellus, Tellius, I-N-T-E-L-I-U-S, which is a company that searches backgrounds on people. So, yep, that's who's running unseen. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, uh, the Jew boy that starts that unseen group is also in tons of other high-tech companies, many connected to Israel, so I've come to a screeching halt with technical information. If I want to send a file that's like HIPAA compliant and it's not, you know, a geopolitically uh, problem, I just use it. I use Unseen. But we're probably going to have to go back to CryptoCat, an open source encrypted chat room that uh, collapses and goes away after it's been used. And... uh, So we don't know yet enough about Unseen to know, but it's growing like mad, and so is Seen, which is their uh, social networking tool, which is not meant to be Unseen (laughs) or encrypted because it's in the open, but they don't take as much of your your private information. They don't require an email, a, a phone number, and all the other stuff. I don't know why people would even give that out to like use Facebook. I, I just don't understand what they what they think. So I posted up in the ground crew and unseen that movie about uh, terms and conditions may apply. The video, the movie about what you're agreeing to when you use those kind of services. So the Waterman Files is there for you to use, and there's. Um, other links, we've got Anglo-Saxon Israel, Bitcoin Magazine in the right-hand column, also under links. We have the Black Phone, that's the completely from the ground up, hardwired, uh, encrypted, hard uh, hard uh, technology. Actually, the, the physical phone itself was made to not have any back doors in the operating uh, it's been sold out before, pre-sold out before they even got it first run done. Uh, the software is done by Silent Circle, and you can get Silent Circle added to your phone. It's in the list there too. Uh, there's Kill the Bank. There's Light, uh, a Litecoin, emergency supplies. There's cryptocurrencies. The Crypto Cat that I was talking to you about, Crypto Cat. It's there. It's free. You can use it. So. Many of the uh, links there for the ground crew and the remnant to use are available for your use at nominal cost or free. And it's probably, you know, best to hop in there and get yourself protected way before it's too late because time is getting short, isn't it? Okay. 
There's a couple of other things that I would like to make the announcement of, and that is that we have an opportunity to uh, to offer to um, the listeners uh, and make an offer is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) We can offer three, only three, volcano stoves. Now, what in the world are these? Well, typically they sell for $240. Now, the company that we rep for the Simply Your Food, this is where uh, the volcano stoves um, we sell come from, although they're shipped directly from Volcano (laughs) in the same area near uh, the food company warehouse in Utah. Volcano stove. Usually this package that I'm going to recommend, I say package because what it is, it's the stove with some really important accessories that I wouldn't be without. They usually cost $240. If you go to their website, their website has them on sale for um, not everything that I'm offering for $186. We're going to do $198, but we're offering more stuff, and I'm going to explain the package and it is not simply your food that's making this offer it's us i mean it's not the food company that we rep for it's simply your food us it's doc and susan that are making this offer available to you so uh you'll have to call phone number and i'll give it to you here in a minute now this is usually two fifty four ninety nine. Our website sells it for like two forty three. Uh, we can even give it a little bit more of a push re- on the regular price and make it two forty. Whoopie do! It's another three bucks, but three bucks is three bucks. But we're going to offer three of these discounted at one hundred ninety eight dollars. Now that is. A little over $40 off. In other words, it's almost a 20% discount. What is a volcano stove? A volcano stove is a collapsible stove. It's a grill and oven at the same time. Um, And in this situation, what it's good for is any kind of cooking in any location that you could possibly dream of. The volcano stove I'm recommending for this sale, because there's different accessories that you can get. The uh, the three stoves each, by the way, are, it's, I just got a note that said, not all three of them for 198. It's each one's 198. If you want to buy all three of them for 198, and by the way, that's not including shipping. And shipping is is very reasonable, very reasonable. This is a very this is a very well made unit. It is solid. There was a over there was like a two hundred and fifty pound guy at the at the warehouse uh, pulled it up, set it up, and stood on it. No, so we're not talking about a little flimsy camping. Uh, cooker, okay? And we're not talking about that. 
This is a tri-fuel. Three kinds of fuels can be used for this cooker. A propane attachment is the one I'm recommending. It has a lid that's an uh, insulated reflective lid that can take a lot of heat. You've seen those kind of, they use them um, on ovenware. It's a, a cloth that's uh, metallic coated and, and used to insulate things. You're going to get a, a lid, that lid for the oven part that has a hole in it for your temperature gauge, a volcano cookbook. A flexible skewer. Since these are round, they're not square, they're round. They kind of tilt in. They're about, oh, I'd say they're about 14, 15 inches tall, maybe a little bit bigger. I don't know how far across, maybe 18 inches around. But anyway, uh, it also, this is coming, this kit would be coming with a propane valve adapter, which the site where you might want to go to, you know, you go, I'm going to go check out the prices at Volcano. Well, the Volcano can't offer this because I'm giving you some money back. I mean, I'm just not going to charge it. In fact, it's costing us. That's what I'm saying. But I'm doing this as a promotion to the people that listen to the Waterman Files for their support of the Waterman Files this year. So what kind of fuels is it? Well, you can do propane because it has a propane insert where you have a burner that can go in there. You can cook wood in it. It's kind of like a um, um, one of those uh, volcano, no, no, uh, man, what do they call those uh, stoves that you can cook wood in? A jet stove, isn't that what it is? Jet? Those little pockets, not a pocket stove. A rocket, yeah, rocket stove. Oh boy! So it's it it can it can use very little of the wood to heat things, and uh, then it can also do charcoal. So you've got three ways to cook, okay? And uh, the preference for most people is to use the propane and have on hand a little bit of uh, charcoal. Now, here's what I would recommend. This is what this thing was made to do. By the way, you can set. You can take the grill off the top, and you can set a Dutch oven down inside there. So let's say you run out of gas, and there is no other way to cook. You just go get your wood from outside, put it underneath, start the fuel. It has a little valve there, a little air control for the bottom for it to feed the wood so you can control the speed and heat that way and then you can uh, put the pot right in the top and put all your food you can cook bread in a pot did you know that you can just well there's a recipe to put it in a pot and you can bake your bread so this stove is made to grill to bake you can use it you can put a wok on the top of it you can get griddles laying on the top. It will do all kinds of emergency cooking or regular cooking. There was a lady at an expo that had it on a plastic table. You know those folding plastic tables? And she was canning right there in the expo. She had the attachment for the propane set up and had the one-pound bottle. Now, you'll kind of wonder, man, how much did it take? She was there all day. She made it all day long on a one-pound 
propane tank. You know those little bitty ones that look like a little about the size of a, a mason canning jar, about that size? Well, that's what she used all day long, canning on this volcano stove. And it didn't do a thing to the table. It won't do anything to the table. In fact, you can slide, you can slide a, a paper notebook underneath because it doesn't transmit heat down. It puts it all up. It's an incredible thing. We're getting them, by the way. We're going to be getting some more. We've got more than one. But we're going to be using them to make bread at the farmer's market. We're going to cook up some ahead of time. Then we're going to bring our, our volcano stoves and set them up and be break baking and have fresh bread after that bread for those that come by. So you can see uh, what it's like. Uh, we'll be pasting, putting up the picture. Or you can, go to the, you can go to the volcano website and look at them, or you can go to Simply Your Food and go into emergency supplies and look under the food and um, uh, uh, or you could just type in and the water at the uh, simpler food you could type in the uh, volcano stove or cooking or whatever and you can see it but we'll have pictures of it you have to call in the phone number is 702-543-1828 and that's our $198, usually $242, and a little bit, well, I'll just say $242 or $40 uh, uh, deal. We've got three of them to offer. So the first three to call, they're going to get a stove, and then you add shipping. Okay, and we're glad to offer that to our um, our people. You might be asking, you know, how much does he make? We're not, uh, the margins on stuff that we make is very tight. We're just able to offer three of these because of some of our benefits that we get. We're just going to give them to you. Shipping is going to end up being $14.99. Is that the, the, not the sale? Is that on the regular price? Check the regular price. Hang on just a second. We're, we're going to get you the shipping price. So anyway, the Volcano Stove offer is still there. It's uh, 20 So shipping is $20.99. And let me tell you what. It's, uh, it's portable, and it comes with a, a bag that you can put, you know, you zip it up in. You can carry it. You can throw it in behind the truck seat under the, you know, SUV or in the back end, whatever. Um, it's it's compact, but it's not necessarily light. If you're wanting a backpacking stove, you don't want this one. This one is semi-portable. It's portably easy for the guys that are going out or family that want something to cook with when they're out camping. I mean, you can throw it in a vehicle. You could bring this out in the woods if you had to, but, oh, boy, <laughs> uh, you'd want to be husky because it's uh, it's not light, but it's not real heavy either. It's collapsible, and it's portable and inexpensive. 
All right. So here we go. We have uh, lots of... uh, Let's see here. Looks like we're getting uh, some uh, trolls in the chat that I just blocked. And uh, if you're listening, uh, too bad. Uh, Because I'm not going to unblock you. You can just sit there all day long. And uh, one of these days, I'm going to have to have somebody like uh, Dave Kennedy be my uh, nuke master in the chat room. (laughs) Turn him in as the admin and and have him, because I'll be going into the news here in just a second, and I won't be able to watch the chat room, so I already apologize. Now, those that you, of you that call in by the phone, you've got it made. <laughs> you, you don't have to see all this stuff. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, uh, you, uh, you kind of, there's only two things. Either they're sick or they're sick. <laughs> I mean, you know, what else can you say? They're they're just sick, either way. All right, let's let's get into it here. Um, one of the things I I want to talk about today, and we're going to do a variety of of news and info besides this, and, and but right off the bat, we've been talking about prepping. Okay, so we might as well just go ahead and continue with this talk a little bit more about getting ready for. You know, communications. How many of you couldn't get a hold of somebody? Um, you know, my son called me. He was sick as a dog the other day. He's uh, he's uh, in a military base. But he's he's not in the military, okay? He works he works on the base. And you know, he calls me off and on with scary stuff. But um he called me sick as a dog and the phone wouldn't work. And then it or it sounded like he was having trace it dad my chest hurts and and I can't really breathe and the next thing I know the phone's off. I couldn't call him back. I couldn't call him the next day. So you begin to realize just how important communications are. But when it gets down to communications, just how important are other means of communications than phone? That includes, by the way, cell phone and landlines. We have today some options. We have VoIP, voice over Internet, telephone calls through your cable company. I wouldn't touch that. (laughs) So you can get, like, from Jive, J-I-V-E, telephone service using a soft phone on your computer or a phone on your desk, either one. We have both. We've installed the phone on this laptop that I got for the show that everybody helped us get back into so that we could have this show, so that we could carry the laptop anywhere we go and have the show. That's why we did all that. And so you've got cell phones, you have internet phones, you have uh, landline regular phone. There's another one. There's radio. You know, internet, the internet has failed 
to make amateur radio obsolete. And that's because amateur radio has always been a high-tech hobby for hams. And it always wanted to stay ahead of the mass market's media. In other words, ham hams were actually and have been responsible for a lot of the innovation in the digital technology by working hand-in-hand with companies like Yezu, ICOM, Kenwood, oh, gee, you just name all the the ham radio companies. And they started off, ham started off by buying kits from these companies that they actually, you know, soldered together themselves. It's not like you can't go out and get all the pieces to make a ham radio. That's where Radio Shack started was selling components, electronic components, electrical uh, supplies for putting together your own electronics. That went uh, that went to the wayside after cell phone technology uh, started, and they started selling cell phones. And everybody has complained, hey, you know, it's hard to get that stuff. Well, there are other supplies that the hams have gone to. But what I'm talking about is, you know, here we have ham radio, but how high-tech is ham radio? Folks, first of all, it's unique and stands out in one area in a, such a unique way that you need to kind of uh, retouch on its uh, on these kind of golden nuggets of ham radio. First of all, you can supply all the power yourself to make the transmission. If you're receiving a ham radio signal, all you need is a little bit of battery, just like the guy that's transmitting, and an antenna. You don't have to have anything in the middle. There's no middle person. There's no phone company. There's no Internet. There's no cell tower, cell phone tower. So that makes it completely within the control to receive and transmit in the hands of the user. That's what keeps it the proverbial favorite because you're in complete control. Now you might say, I don't have a license. You don't have to have a license to buy this stuff. You don't. So what do I have? Well, you know, we've been prepping now for years. We have our little modified battery, which is actually a Goal Zero product. And, yes, that's available at Simpler Food. And you can get them in the variety of sizes, the kind that you can, yeah, you can actually attach to your backpack and go in the woods with a lot easier than a volcano stove. Or you can get one that's about as heavy as a volcano stove, and it still can be carried, but it's about like carrying a car battery, which isn't real easy. But that kind of power is all you need for these radios now. So in 60, let's, let's, here's some examples of what I'm talking about and what's happening. In the 1960s, there was the arrival on the ham radio market. Um, I should say there was the arrival of these less expensive fax uh, machines or equipment. Well, guess where that started getting experimented with? Ham radio operators were exper- experimenting with what was called radio fax communications. Yeah, the hams 
in the 60s were already doing faxes on their radios. Now, with the advent or the introduction of the computer, personal computer, and uh, then eventually the sound cards that go on those computers in the 80s, radio fax, uh, faxing over ham radio and over long, long, long distances increased dramatically. <laughs> you might... You might go, what in the world would uh, you want to fax something for? Why would you want to do that? Well, there's a, a numerous uh, reasons. Uh, first of all, if anybody's listening, because you've got to remember these airwaves are in the open. Unless they have the right equipment, all they're going to hear is zzz, 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 zzz. You know how you hear, you know what a fax sounds like, right? The only ones that are likely in intercepting that would be the government, but who cares, right? <laughs> then in 1961, a series of, oh, there was a series of launches putting some satellites in orbit that actually were carrying amateur radio. They were called Oscars, orbiting satellite carrying amateur radio satellites. And the amateur radio community and operators began to use this because this was ham radio's very own satellites in the sky, believe it or not. And they were dedicated to amateur radio communications, open freely to anybody over which ham people could communicate with each other. You know what that did? It, you could already talk around the world, but imagine having a satellite to help you if you wanted it to. Okay, so we're just talking about if you wanted it. Then in the late 60s, ham radio technology began using what's called slow scan television. It's an analog technology used to transmit images between radios. So this began to then be kind of like you see on uh, digital equipment on the Internet where you have, you know, these uh, video calls. They were already occurring in the 60s with ham equipment. They were already doing it. But more recently, ham radio has been using digital technology and digital communications over the airwaves. And since World War II, and for more than half a century, they've been using it. So, in 1946, I'm giving you a little bit of history, but I'm working up to something here. Amateur radio was using digital communications, uh, what, what we call, and you might know as radio telegraph. And they called it RTTY. It's a type of communications on ham radio, which could be transmitted long distance. Now, they used to do that just using, after the war, uh, Army or military surplus World War II equipment. It got gobbled up. It's still passed around at ham shows or uh, so forth. Communications is so important with this kind of thing that you need to be aware of what can be done. Now, so today you can take a common, regular, new radio. You can get them for six fifty something like that, on sale. You can get one. I've, that's what I paid or up. You can hook these digital, new, newer digital uh, radios up 
to your computer and you can receive this kind of teletype that transfers into letters what you're hearing. You could just be listening to like that or the faxes and it will you can put software on your uh, PC that receives it and will communicate to you there a picture, a video image, a fax, or words in a paragraph. And why that's so good is because it can transmit it so much faster than you can say it. I could take a paragraph and read it and you get it, or I could transmit radio telegraph and it would be so much quicker, or just the picture. Boom, you got it. It's over. So it's faster to transmit, even though it might take longer to read. Then in the 80s, there was some equipment that's been enabled to do, you know, communications using amateur radio, but it was going computer to computer, like I was saying. And they began to improve those protocols and those modes. So they have all these different kinds, just like we say VoIP, voice over internet protocol, or those kind of terms for the internet. Uh, they had theirs like Clover, Pactor, and instead of Tour, like we've T-O-R, which is an encrypted way over the internet, they have G-Tour. So it began to get more interesting as more and more ideas flourished on how to combine long distance completely in your control where you have the antenna, you have the radio, and you hook that up to a computer. And so then came along in the 80s and is still used today something called packet radio. It's a special protocol that you can use to communicate with. Why is all this important? Along with all this has come an abundance of abilities. Um, it's really kind of uh, interesting. You're not supposed to use ham radio for anything encrypted. They think you must be doing something illegal, right? <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of rag-chewing by licensed amateurs out there, and they can be just a pain in the butt. They're not very friendly. They have their little circle. They say, go away, get out of here. It's almost like you ended up in uh, Hillbillyville, and they don't like you because they don't trust anybody outside. They think you're all revenueers or something. I don't know. But, you know, there's all these organizations hams belong to because they are the nerds of the radio world, and they get real ee about doing it the right way. So they're just a bunch of Boy Scouts. They would be the kind of guys that would walk into an empties, Hardee's, or fast food restaurant. You know these fast food restaurants like uh, DQ and all those where they have the little railings go back and forth so that when it gets busy, they can kind of control the crowd and make them wind back and forth so they stay orderly and get more people in line rather than going out the door. <laughs> Well, these are the kind of guys that when they walk in one of these restaurants, there could be not a soul in there. And they would walk around every one of those rails. See, I don't do that. I walk in and I go, I'm not walking through that thing. I walk around it. 
or if there's a chain up, I take the chain down and just go, I don't do that. You know, potty trained to be compliant one thing, and be, <laughs> um, being an idiot's another. So I don't walk through these styles that are in the fast food restaurants when there's nobody there. I'm not so potty trained that I can't go out and in on the parking lot. <laughs> oh, we can't go out there. There's an arrow on the parking lot pavement that says in. So what? Okay? It's it's a parking lot. You know, are they going to crash? Well, if they ran into you or you're sitting there, that's not your fault. They ran into you. I mean, come on. I had a friend tell me. he was. In fact, he was a ham. He says, some of these hams are so stupid. Following the rules that if you took a the lines of the pavement and painted them over in the ditch into a tree. They'd follow the lines and go right into a tree. And I thought, how appropriate. (laughs) How many of you guys know people that are so nerdy that they can't think anymore? It's, you know, follow this, follow that, do this, do that. I mean, it drives me crazy. Sometimes... I think that, by the way, happens to be some of the problems with ex-military. They've been told what to do, particularly career guys. They've been told what to do so long they can't think when they get out. They can't, uh, uh, no, I guess I'm supposed to go around all these rails. But anyway, so they have all these organizations, Aries for Public Service and Skywarn and all that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? There's also the remnant. There's also us in the ground crew, the people that are just normal, everyday, can actually think for ourselves kind of people, knowing that we've got to have backup plans. And a lot of people are calling them preppers because that's kind of like the new marketed mentality that came along, you know, 30 years after tons of people were already prepping. And so what I'm trying to tell you all this for is that, you know, there are some bad times coming. And you can't get stuff after it's bad times have started. But it's going to be real interesting. Just go ahead, dive in, get started with your ham. First, you've got to have a radio to listen to. So if you don't have one to listen, get one. I like the Sanjian radios. I like the Grundig radios. I don't like the Chinese-made ones because they have been having problems with them after they've had them for a while. It's as if they've had software programmed in them for them not to tune correctly. They start off okay, but the entire Degen line and Kato line, it's K-I or K-A-I-T-O, all of those are, are, are not working. But I wanted to tell you there is so many possibilities and all of this stuff for software on your computer, window-driven computer, it's free. Most of it's all free. And there are tons of people. So if you go to a local ham group in your area, you can learn all kinds of stuff. And, oh, they're going to try and get you to be licensed and licensed. Well, you know what? At one time I was licensed. But you know what? There was also a time <laughs> when I developed, helped develop for the phone companies the voice 
recognition system that ended up in the hands of the government, and I quit that stuff. Folks, we have to get ready. We have not uh, much time left. So what's going on? Well, right now, there's a lot going on in the news, and so why don't we take a little break here, and uh, I'll play you a little bit of music, and I'll go get me a drink, and uh, in about two minutes... I'll be back. I'll be right back, okay? Let me see if I can get my music pulled up here and uh, so that we can get us a, a break in. And when I come back, I've got something really fun you're going to want to hear. <laughs> be right back. Welcome to the Waterman Files. We're going to start our we're going to start our uh, second hour here on January the fifth. I've got this <laughs> I've got this really fun um, uh, audio I want to play. Uh, I'll just let it speak for itself. Here we go. 
not lose. The fate of the world rests in one top secret mission. This is my last election. Yeah, and after my election, I have more flexibility. And I transmit information to Vladimir and Your mission is simple, Mr. Obama. Win one last election to gain unchecked flexibility, weaken our defenses, and fundamentally transform the world. Dimitri will transmit the information. Starring Barack Obama as President Flexible, Dmitry Medvedev as Dr. Transmitkov, and Vladimir Putin as himself. After my election, I am more flexible. After my election, I am more flexible. Operation Hot Mike. Thought you'd like that. Of course, you know what that is. That's when the microphone was on and Obama was sitting there with, uh, well, at the time, uh, President, or no, uh, Prime Minister uh, Medvedev. That was uh, the one that worked with Putin, and he met he met Medvedev in um, St. Petersburg, and no, he's not Jewish, okay? (laughs) Sometimes I just wonder. What these two men were doing was, uh, after the fall of the Soviet Empire, uh, they both showed up in um, St. Petersburg. Putin was from that area, and when he left the low-level desk job KGB position that he was working. He went back to St. Petersburg to get his Ph.D. Not too long after that, both him and Medvedev were working for the mayor. And uh, you could call Putin kind of the mayor's, uh, the vice mayor of uh, St. Petersburg. And that's where he got his start, and that's where he fought corruption, and uh, that's where he was blamed for being corrupt. Uh, And everybody that hates him says, oh, you know he was laundering money. He wasn't laundering money. I found out he wasn't laundering money. He was fighting the money launderers. In the meantime, um, you know, it takes a long time to get rid of the parasite. It's kind of like having a virus. It's kind of hard to get rid of a cold a lot of times. And so what ends up in what's ending up happening is Putin doesn't like how the banks uh it doesn't like central control over his bank by other entities made private which were private tied after the fall and were taken over by oligarchs. Yeah, the Jewish oligarchs had control of the central banks before the fall, continued to be, oh, we're no longer communist Jewish oligarchs on the banks. We're capitalist Jewish oligarchs on the banks. (laughs) But they did pass some laws that controls the central banks in Russia. And one of those, they cannot do loans for expansion. You don't go to a bank in Russia or the Russian Central Bank to get a a, a business loan to expand business. You don't. It's not lawful. You have to get the loan from an investor. 
And sometimes it's so much of an investment, it might take like German money. So German banks do it. Well, that doesn't help much. There's still Jewish oligarch-controlled banks, but at least they're not in Russia. Okay? Well, there's, you know, a fight. Putin has been trying to turn it back over to the state so that they're not, you know, he's trying to get rid of the Fed just like we would like to get rid of the Fed. But anyway, the Central Bank of Russian Federation does not have to support, like ours, the Russian economy. There is no paragraph in the Constitution for the Russian Federation that would tell the central bank to act so, and neither is there for the Fed. So when we bailed out the banks, you do know that some of that money went to European, well, went to banks outside of the United States. People that don't know who the Federal Reserve is were probably asking, what's that all about? Well, what that's all about is the fact that our central bank called the Federal Reserve and the member banks that own and control that, but not all of them have equal control. There's one primary bank, and it happens to be in the New York one, and the New York Fed's the one that runs all the Fed banks, blah, blah, blah. Well, <clears throat> this is a private entity. They're there for profit. And if they don't make profit in the U.S., they go other places, or they expand. Why we agreed to that? Oh, my goodness, maybe we didn't agree. Oh, that's right. It was on Christmas Eve when there wasn't quorum in the Congress to vote for any law. Gosh, we passed the Federal Reserve Act. <laughs> December 24th, huh? Oh, man. How do we do this stuff? Why don't we shoot them? Well, anyway, they're going to be shot. But anyway, so do you see we point our bony fingers, or not me and you more likely, the government here that's full of crooks or pretend to be mad at Russia stuff, point their finger at not the bank in Russia, but they point to Russia and say all kinds of stuff to them. <clears throat> Come on, give me a break. But we don't have, you know, a lot of patriots will look at Russia and say, well, you need to get rid of that bank, that, you know, and that kind of, well, we need to get rid of ours. <laughs> so quit worrying about their, Russia has more of a handle and control of their banking system owned by Jewish oligarchs than we do. So what's going on? Well, for the purpose of discussion here, uh, the Constitution, by the way, which was uh, written, you know, during that 90s time frame, is that the the Federation can tell the central bank to do certain things, but for most part it's hands off. So you got to ask the question, for what purpose did the central bank do this? Why would they, you know, well, for total control. So let me quote you something from a fellow that is uh, <clears throat> out of the State Duma in Russia, and his name is, uh, oh boy, 
Yegvengi Fedorov. Okay, best I can do. And here's a quote, an actual quote. All countries of the world are divided into two large groups. One group is called developed countries, and the other is called developing or undeveloped countries. Better to say in the past, um, underdeveloped countries were called colonies. So, yeah, colony. You you know, uh, for a while we were colony in America until we kind of broke free of England. But the economy of all developed countries have one common feature. Low interest rates, supposedly. This is a, I didn't, I add the supposedly. This is a key point, all underdeveloped countries. There is 90% of such countries in the world have very high interest rates. But guess what? He's missing one crucial issue. Strict Muslim countries don't charge interest. (gasps) Seems like every country that doesn't charge interest by their banks gets attacked by America. Oop! Actually, they get attacked by the banking industry's military-industrial complex. Folks, when I tell you this, I know you get tired of me saying Jewish. I really know you get tired of that because we have this ingrained in our brain um, emotional context that kind of causes us to cringe a little bit hearing that. That's been programmed in me. It's been programmed in you and the world. And it's it's uh, honestly... We can't even say this stuff. Pejoratively to say it, it becomes a problem. It runs people off. But why am I saying this? Well, either they do or they don't control us. Okay? They really do, bottom line. Either they control us or they don't. And, you know, a lot of people begin to think, they're not all the problems. They're not all the problems. Let me ask you something. Would you turn your nation's banks over to, if you were like America or, well, America, let's just stay there, which is purportedly a Christian nation, would you turn your bank's control over to the Chinese That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Would you turn the banks over to Muslims? So why did we turn it over to Jews? Why did we turn it over to this extremely small faction of people that represent less than 2% of the population in the world? I mean, come on, give me a break. Oh, wait a minute. 0.2%. Why did that happen? The reason why we're being judged as a nation and falling apart is because we have allowed ourselves to be taken over because we haven't been obedient. 
Now we pay interest, and they own us lock, stock, and barrel. We shouldn't be paying interest. Money should not be a vehicle to make somebody wealthy from its um, production of, of money. To make money should not make somebody wealthy. It's a vehicle of production. It's a vehicle for transferring wealth. It is not in itself a wealth-producing machine. When you print money, what have you got? You can't eat it, right? Well, the worthless paper you can burn in your fireplace. And a long time ago, you remember they used to wallpaper the walls, remember? So why I say Jews? Why do I constantly say Jews? Because they were well known to have chosen Judaism, these Khazarians, because they could charge interest. Otherwise, they'd have never gotten into it. So there must be some big, big amounts of interest that can be charged. In the meantime, they're fighting, the central banks in Russia are fighting the Russian government. The Russian constitution says that the ruble should keep up rates. Now, to this end, the central bank in Russia should keep up rates too. And the central bank has foreign exchange for that purpose. Now, this is all sounding complicated, but it's really not. In other words, Russia is not even a ruble country. Did you know that? <laughs> if you went to Russia and you thought you'd have to walk around with rubles in your pocket in order to spend cash, you would have been sorely mistaken because there are four times as many U.S. dollar places than, than there are rubles in the country of Russia. You go into Moscow. You could have dollars in your pocket all day long and shop. You may not be able to do it in all places. Isn't that incredible? By the mere fact they use dollars in Russia, U.S. money, Federal Reserve money, in a de facto kind of way, Russia is under the control of the central banks. And here's what was happening. You've got to wonder, why have they started picking on Russia? Why have they hated Russia's guts? Well, everybody goes, well, because of the banks. But Well, hey, we have no idea just how infiltrated the central bank of Russia was. We have no idea. In an article dated the 12... 30 of 2014, a week ago, in Pravda, it's entitled, The USA Instructs Russian Central Banks How to Strangle the Russian Economy. I'll put it in the chat. Incredible, isn't it? But it isn't so incredible after you find out that 
Russian banks um, can only, what can I say, facilitate, what did I do? I think I did something bad. Let me get back in here. <laughs> I shut my chat window. <laughs> okay, I'm coming back. I just lost myself. Oh, gosh. How did I do that? I, I hope you can hear me. Uh, sometimes I wonder. Here we go. I'm uh, I'm I'm still here in case you can hear me. Really, I'm here. Tell you the truth, I'm still here. I hope we're still oh, we're still live. Okay. Yeah, I'm coming back. Oh geez, what happened? All right. <clears throat> Do I show up? Am I disconnected? Do I still have a phone on? Oh, okay. Well, you probably heard me rumbling because it looks like everybody's still there. I'm sorry. I clicked something and the chat just went. I thought it was all gone over over with. Back to the article. I was getting this article to um, to read to you. Um, you know, the central, the U.S. central bank is dictating how to destroy Russia. Isn't that incredible? There you go. Let's see here. Thanks, Dave, for telling me you could hear. Thanks. It's kind of a long article. It's it's kind of worth reading because I was reading some of it to tell you how things operate. But it's important to realize Russia does not... Um, the Russia does not, uh, um, they don't like issue central banks, don't issue lots of money to smaller banks that, you know, fund a, a steel company to expand. You know what this means? This means that if they want to annihilate the economy of Russia, how are they going to affect Russia? Because what Russia does with the ruble is they circulate just enough of the ruble for there to be transactions. But they have, before Putin, allowed in central bank money from the world, mainly the reserve currency of the world, which was the Federal Reserve. And I don't think very many people understood that. When I was in uh, an Eastern European country, and I won't name exactly which one, <laughs> but you could take your pick, okay? You could go Romania, Hungary, all those kind of nations, okay? I, I was in a, well, I'll just tell you, I was in a Budapest hotel. I walked out, and on the steps I ran into a guy. And uh, he started talking to me in one language, and he used English. And uh, he said, I have, look, he had some local currency. And he says, for every dollar, I'll give you this much. Well, the exchange rate was, officially, was $1 for 24 years. That was the official exchange rate in that country. 
Hungry. We'll just tell you. It's been so long. <laughs> I'm probably safe. And the street price, you could get 300 of their local dollars for $1. Now, how much... Well, in Romania, for example, you made $250 U.S. dollars a month. I mean, their money a month. You, you could have gone to a Romania and been a king, you know, if you'd have had any kind of income at all coming. Uh, you'd have been a king, just like you do in some of these Central America. But it's not stable, see? You can't trade in the streets without possibly getting in trouble when you're coming out of something like the Budapest Hotel. I mean, for crying out loud, it's spy headquarters, right? <laughs> I mean, they watch you coming out. I mean, we had one of the nurses, one of the ladies, uh, she had her entire suitcase stolen right out from underneath her nose. I mean, how do you lose that out of your room, huh? How do you lose it? Well, they're spies. Well, not just criminal activity. They want to know what's going on. So, you know, they just do that. Well, anyway, back to this. When you have that kind of exchange rate, it creates problems for the country that you're at. If you don't stick to the official exchange rate, but even worse is allowing dollars to be exchanged and used in the country itself. So if I was in that country and I went to a business and I had dollars, uh, yeah, you could usually buy something. They'd price it in dollars for you, and then you could just buy it straight with dollars if you wanted. Um, but when you wanted to buy it, but what happens is they usually take foreign currency and have to do something like pay their own bills, pay their own credit. You know, they they might have to pay rent for their business. They might have to uh, make payments uh, on borrowed money for the building they're in or maybe uh, the grocery store and so forth, and they may not take U.S. dollars. So if they take a, a lot of U.S. dollars and convert it, uh, those kind of countries haul you in and question you for having, you know, what's, why do you have so many U.S. dollars? Uh, in communist countries, this was going on. They haul you in. So they didn't win a lot. They could take a few dollars, and then they would spread it around within an underground economy where they could buy things. But generally speaking, no, they couldn't pay their taxes with it and all that. So they weren't real interested in Americans buying up gobs of expensive stuff and handing them lots of money, so they made you go to the streets, and you bought it on the black market. You bought the money on the... Why would you go to the black market? Because you get 10 times as much. That's why. Uh, it happens all the time in regular businesses all over Europe, um, even still today. Go into some countries, non-communist countries, and I know guys that can come back with 7,000 U.S. dollars in their pocket. Can you imagine that kind of fraud going on because they can control the economy of the country? So they're trying to crush Russia, but they're not doing so well because the people that are hurting, this is what I'm getting at, 
the people that they're hurting are not necessarily Russia alone. Because all the expansionist loans were from outside Russia, and a, and a great many of those were from Germany, so Germany has been hurt tremendously. And so Germany's kind of miffed. <laughs> Be looking for Germany to back out of this stuff. In the meantime, you've got places getting kind of upset about things. In fact, you've got uh, you've got uh, uh, people uh, pretty upset with them. You've got the Czech rep- uh, president, the Czechoslovakian president. Uh, they're slamming the EU for sanctions, saying, what are you, what's your problem? This needs to come to an end. Then he also turns around and says, you know, he's talking to the Prime Minister Yatsenyuk, that's the, the Jew boy that was a IMF uh, intermediary for the regime that got removed. And he says... This basically is economic war on Ukraine. It's basically economic war on Russia. And why are they trying to go to war on Russia? That was where I was going. Because the Soviet Union couldn't have an uprising to get rid of that kind of control, but in the freer federation run by Putin, his job, his plan is to take the banks away from this privatization, not to make it um, communist-run, because it was communist-run before, and then they just changed their label, and the same people running the banks in the Soviet Union ran them in post-Soviet Union. That doesn't change a darn thing. So he's saying, let's get rid of the bad guy that runs the bank. Let's hand it to the control of the people and let them run their own bank. Well, that means kicking out the Federal Reserve note. And that's what this war is all about, completely. Completely. That's what it's all about. It's about the banking system being under attack. And in the meantime, you have this Islamic state. They're calling it the IS now, not ISIS, but IS for Islamic state. The Islamic state has reportedly prepared its first annual budget in which it projects a $250 million surplus. Wait a minute. I didn't say budget of $250 million. I said a surplus of $250 million, and they've opened an Islamic bank in Mosul, M-O-S-U-L. That was a city of about 1.8 million people, I think it was, and about half of the, about 500,000 have left. It's still over a million people, and it's kind of like the headquarters now of the Islamic State. And the city itself has actually implemented laws that says, I don't care about you guys uh, doing your stuff that you've been doing, but if you do it in Mosul, we'll, we'll arrest you. So 
the Islamic State people have kind of this hands-off warning, and this is a mutual agreement between the ISIS group and Mosul that they won't go in and tell the city what to do. So this ICE Islamic group, IS, formerly known as ISIS, they approved their own new first round of budgets at $2 billion, folks. Where do you think they're getting this money? <laughs> well, they're getting it from central banks. That's where they're getting it from. And then they've set up their first bank inside the city there to launder all this stuff. Now, where is Mosul? It's in northern Iraq. Well, golly, we sure lost control of that all of a sudden, and we're still there, huh? <laughs> I think maybe it was MI6, CIA, and the Mossad all together. Oh, that might actually be why there's more Europeans in ISIS than you can shake a stick at. What do I mean, Europeans? Well, they call them mercenaries, but we're all told they're Muslims. <laughs> so that's what I mean by that. So we've got this bank all set up. In the meantime, uh, well, I won't get into it anymore. I'll give you a link. You can go read it yourself. Uh, this link is from a... Uh, website from there, actually. And uh, you can go M-O-S-U-L in Wikipedia and get the location of it if you want. But ISIL, I-S-I-L, they arrested uh, nine of their own elements in southern this city I've just talked about because they were in Approaching upon or or violating part of the agreement to uh, not to in you know go in the city and cause trouble. When there were some radicals in their group, can you imagine ISIS having radicals in their own group that got arrested because they did that? In the meantime, through all while this is all going on, Iceland has filed papers to withdraw from the EU. Whoa. Now, folks, do you know how big Iceland is? I I think it was 300,000 people. That isn't very big. But good for them. The WebBot report was mentioning that, you know, the, the existing financial system is going to collapse. Now, while all this was going on, while, you know, we have these plunderings of our wealth through the central banks, the media has failed to slam, including the EU, uh, these neo-Nazi groups in Kiev. Now, look, folks, I'm not anti uh, German people. I'm not anti-nationalist, but think what I'm trying to say here is that the European Union 
has refrained from saying anything critical about the torchlight street processions by the neo-Nazis in Kiev. But if we were to do that, they'd be all over it. Okay? If any other place in the country did it, the media would be all over it. Why? Why hasn't it happened? I'll tell you why. Because the neo-Nazis in western Ukraine, or Kiev, is the Mossad. (laughs) And they control the media, right? So... They're not going to talk about something they've got in the organization and going. I mean, something's up. Something's cooking. What can I say? It's it's an operation. They don't want to ruin that operation. I mean, right now, you know, we still continue. A hedge fund founder in Manhattan has been shot dead by his son. The guy's name was Thomas Gilbert. Why? Who knows? I don't know how that guy got caught. That's kind of stupid. But he got caught. The son got caught. But his dad was a graduate of Princeton and then of Harvard Business School. And he uh, worked on Wall Street for over 40 years. Hmm, think he knew something? I mean, it's getting extremely abusive. United, the corporations, back up, corporations are in sync and right in there, hand in hand, with an intrusive, tyrannical government. United Airlines sued a 22-year-old who found a method for buying cheaper tickets. Now, here's how this works. I don't uh, I don't do airlines anymore. Well, first of all, I used to only be home about 100 days a year. The rest of those were all on airplanes. <laughs> the idea is that you you buy an airline ticket that has a layover in your actual destination. And that destination may, may not actually be very um populous, populated. There may not be a cheap ticket right to there. So you buy a ticket where you like fly from New York to San Francisco, but there's a layover in Lake Tahoe where you're wanting to go. Well, you just don't finish the plane t- the plane trip. You just get your luggage. And, you know, the layover also means the luggage comes off. You pick up your luggage. You can pick it up if you want. And that's it. You just don't bother taking the last leg of that flight because the reason you do that is because it's cheap. You know, tickets straight into Las Vegas were subsidized. Tickets into Branson from like Chicago and New York, they're they're subsidized. And uh, that's what makes those kind of loss, uh, those low population areas uh, easy to get to or inexpensive to get to. But if you you want to go somewhere that (laughs) isn't very populated, if it's a stop on the way to something bigger, you can, you know, get off there. Well, guess what? United Airlines, the Nazi state from hell uh, on the airline industry, um, they sue somebody for doing that. 
Incredible. Jeez. Oh, boy. Let's uh, let's finish this up. Uh, you know, we had this failed break-free election that happened in Scotland. <clears throat> Scotland still fighting for their freedom. You know, they scream and bloody murder of the Holocaust, which we know didn't happen the way they said it did in any way, shape, or they lied about all of that. But did the boys that helped Robert the Bruce get drawn and quartered, do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? They tie up real heavy ropes to the arms and legs, and then they hook them up to horses, and they go four different directions. And they just rip the body apart in four sections. That's being drawn and quartered. Now that... That do you hear do you hear Scottish people moaning and groaning and whining constantly about Culloden? Oh, we had a Culloden. We had this Holocaust. Yeah, it almost took out all the Scottish people. Well, let's do this. There's some secret files that have just been handed over to express.co.uk. It's a it's a news media outlet that reveals pleas for the US to intervene in the Scottish election. In other words, there's this embarrassing revelation about an extraordinary group or cache of documents that have been obtained by this media outlet in a, after a three-year battle. Can you believe that? Now, why would you say three-year battle when it just happened? Well, these these files run into the hundreds of pages, and it shows that Washington followed the Scottish independent debate in very remarkable detail from the day that the SMP first won its seat or power in 2007. So they've been watching them. With these disclosures came other things. (laughs) For example, come to find out, U.S. was keeping tabs on American citizens who spoke out out in favor of the Scottish separation. So you got like a Ron Paul sticker. Well, guess what? There's the Scottish independence one too. So you're on a list. Incredible. Using the U.S. Freedom of Information Act, the Scottish... It's called the Scottish Sunday Express, and that's a, a print journalism. Asked the State Department for documents relating to this independent referendum in January uh, 2012, when they first asked. Finally, after lots and lots and lots and lots of work, the Central Foreign Policy Division had then had traced 60 documents. 22 were released in full and 19 were released with some information censored, and
and 14 documents have been kept secret in the interest of national defense to foreign policy. But the most controversial revelation contained within these unclassified briefings are dated February of 2013, revealing that the head of internal politics of the U.S. Embassy in London met with somebody from the Scotland office to discuss a new Whitehall report on independence. And it stressed that the these independent policy papers, and more than others, had an international dimension to them, and suggested the they suggested the U.S. be asked by the press if they could recognize the rest of the U.K. as a legal successor state. Now, there's lots more there. There's a lot of other stuff I haven't read, read or told you about that you can read yourself. Uh, this incredible uh, story is still the fight that's going on for against tyranny. And Scotland, we know, you know, I know, they voted to be free. The main areas in the north part of Scotland were not in the results. You know why? Because the guy carrying it in a car, all by himself, on a road, the main road that goes north and south in Scotland from the northern part of Scotland, carrying all that region's votes in that car, paper ballots. Whoop, he had an accident, ran into a tree, and died on election day. Give me a break. Folks, here we've got lots that we have to get taken care of. We have a lot of stuff to do. We don't have time for rumors from Sorcha Fall. We don't have time from rumors from before it's news. And all those idiotic sites that are run by people like, well, apparently we know who before it's news is. His name's David Booth. And he has an extreme huge government uh, cash and a whole host of people to help put disinformation up. Disinformation, just to keep you occupied on the edge of your seat, hoping this and hoping that. And then you get some people that actually believe that. Trash. The last one I heard about somebody was saying, did you know that there's going to be 80 meteors and comets coming our way over the next three months, and they don't want you to know about it. And we know that because we have contacts inside the Kremlin, and this is coming from Russia. It's BS. I will tell you this. There are scores of giant asteroids hurtling toward Earth and around this region from space, but it wasn't information from Russia in a secret document written and produced by the head of the Air Force there. It came from NASA. It's publicly published. And basically they're saying, 
that over the next month, particularly the end of February, there's going to be some problems. And let's just hope one of them doesn't hit the planet at 70,000 miles an hour because life on the planet is going to change quite a bit. That's pretty pretty bad. Now, the the biggest to skim the planet... Uh, could be January the 12th, and it will be going about 34,500 miles an hour. But these aren't Russian top secrets. <laughs> They're not even a secret by a long shot. Will they be a problem? Who knows? The problem, no. Will life end on the planet? Nope, not going to end. Why do we know this? Because we have the end book. We have the story of the last chapter. We know what's happening. Yeah, we're going to have problems, folks. But we're not going to get wiped out. <clears throat> it's been my pleasure. By the way, make sure that you tune in to uh, the truthtraveler.com. Truth traveler.com tonight I think it's 11 p.m. Eastern 10 p.m. Central I'm going to be interviewed by Aaron who hosts the Truth Traveler and we'll just have to see where the interview goes I haven't a clue what she's going to be asking me but she has something in mind and uh, you can get to that live broadcast tonight by going to the Truth Traveler and you just click on live 11 p.m. Eastern you can go there and I'll be interviewed by Aaron so it's been my pleasure being with you we have a lot to cover lots of stuff to do take advantage of all the things that we're trying to get you an opportunity to participate in including the, the privacy issues and so forth and make yourself or make avail yourself of all these kind of uh, informations <laughs> so that you can uh, more prepare for the days ahead. It's really important to know, you know, that you're not alone, but we also can prepare for this um, intrusion. Remember, Satan cannot know everything. He is not omnipresent, omniscient. He doesn't know everything. And he has to have a system in place to do that for him called the beast system, which is just a basic uh, network of computers tracking your every move. And now it's time to fight back and not let that happen. You need to become who you are free hope to hear from you tonight hope you can call in by the way on that show it's been my pleasure being with you blessings to all goodbye
Surprise. 